0: 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, but not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this. We may know that we are in in him, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the way in the same way in which he walked beloved. I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness, and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the unshakable truth of your word, Lord. I thank you that is a firm foundation upon which we can stand, Lord. And as we hear from your word this morning, Lord, I pray your anointing on Jackie, and I pray, Lord, that each one of us would have ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, and be sanctified in your word this morning in Jesus name we pray amen
1: so my my wife has um hey, we we'll ever turn this on yeah. something's on so tricky on off switches My wife has, I don't know if you guys catch it. I didn't catch it. Uh, Our announcements, uh, Carol says, so welcome as we continue the book of Luke. How many of you were here when I did Luke? That was a long time ago. (laughs) And I love Carl because Carl puts John up in the corner. But how many of you guys know we finished John a few weeks ago? Now, the good news is we're in 1 John, so it's the same author. Uh, I'm just teasing Carl, but uh, these are the things. I go home, and Kathy goes, hey, how long are you going to be in Luke? I'm like, what in the world are you talking about? (laughs) As we come to 1 John this morning, and we take a look at what we talked about last time. As we work our way through, in summary, we talked about two things last time. And that was one, the person that makes all of this possible. In chapter 1, the person who makes all of this possible is the word of life. Just like John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. This is a proclamation of Jesus the Christ as the source that we all need, the one who makes it possible for us to follow him. And then we talked about the problem that hinders us. What's the problem that hinders us? It's sin. The problem that hinders our walk following Christ is sin. And the answer was given to us last week, right? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from sin. All unrighteousness. But the question that we're asking ourselves in regard to that, in regard to our walk with Christ following him, is this Does our profession match our possession? Do we have what we say we have? If you say, John's going to do this over and over again, if you say you have Christ but you hate your brother, what's he going to say? You lie. Your profession doesn't match your possession. And this is the question, the overarching question, as we work our way through. So as we move now in chapter 2, we want to talk about the idea of the proof that we're walking with him. And t- today, this morning, the proof that we walk in with him, are going to center around two things. One, are we keeping his commandments? Two, do we love one another? These are the very same things that Jesus taught. And so we're going to take a look at John as he goes through this, as he's wrapping up this idea and asking the question that we, we just examine ourselves before the Lord's Supper, right? Lord, am I right with you? I'd say since Thursday, yeah, since Thursday, I have been struggling with bitterness. Anybody ever struggle with bitterness? I, I just like to feel I'm not the only one. I've been struggling with bitterness. And, and uh, here's the funny thing about bitterness. When we're bitter, we have this tendency to just run the thing over and over again in our mind. This is how you know if you're bitter, in case you didn't raise your hand. You run the thing over and over again in your hand. You, you know all the conversation, everything that was said, everything that was meant, and you're, you are the hero of your story. <laughs> if you do that, you're bitter. I've been struggling with bitterness. It was funny because I was sitting at home, and Kathy went camping this week. I took Kathy camping. I tried to talk her into taking herself, but she wouldn't do it. So I took her up, and uh, we trailered the motorcycle. I pulled her up to Yellowstone, and then I came back down and uh, did the week and went back up and got her Friday. So Thursday, I, I something happens. It just awakens a lot of bitterness in me. And I'm at home and nobody's there. It's pretty quiet. So I sit down in front of the computer and I, I have uh, uh, several apps that I, that I pay for. One of them is Canon Press, uh, which is uh, put on by a pastor in a, uh, from up in Moscow, Idaho. And so I'm just scrolling through his stuff. You know, I like to watch him. I like to listen to him. And I come across this book, How to I don't remember, I was, don't look it up because you'll never find it because this will be the wrong title. But basically, how to battle with bitterness, something like that. So I, I don't have nothing going on, and I just so happen to be bitter. So I, <laughs> so I click on it. So I click on it, and I sit back and I listen to this. It was, it was a, a wonderful uh, uh, event that God ordained in my life. So i listened to it, and it was everything I needed, everything I need to hear. Uh, I've had I've listened to it so far three times, because if you know anything about bitterness, as soon as you think you're okay, it comes right back up again. So, so in in trying to walk in that and stand in that and be in that place where I'm not struggling in uh, in bitterness, and and so here's what happened that night: we have discipleship with the men's group that. That I'm leading and so we get around and we're talking about the person of Christ and as we're talking about the person of Christ this you know we're just having a discussion it's not questions out of our book we're just you know letting God do what God does and and so we begin to I begin to challenge uh, the men who are there with this idea you know Jesus said he always did the things that pleased the father and he only spoke The things the Father wanted him to speak. Have you ever meditated on that? So I said, What if every single situation we are in every single day, our question that we ask is not, Why did this happen? or What a, you know, whatever things we do, but rather, How can I glorify you in this situation, Lord? What if that's the first attitude of our heart how can I glorify you see this is the example we have in Jesus Christ God's only son this is the one we follow and he tells me I must I am commanded to put out all bitterness not to nurse it not to water it not to try to take care of it I gotta put it out and I got to ask myself the same question how do I glorify you in this Lord how do I glorify you in the struggle how do I glorify you in the pain because all that stuff's real we really feel how we feel right you can't just put it in a, a put a lid on the bottle when it's all shook up there's pressure's all still there anybody ever been bitter and not been able to sleep yeah So so here's my solution to overcoming bitterness. It might change next week. I'll give you more updates as we continue. But it is, one, giving it to him however many times it takes. Sometimes, I think last night, I woke up and gave it to him, uh, let's say 20 times. I'm even in my sleep, Lord, take this from me cuz my brain's still going. You guys do that, right? Brains it's still running all that stuff. So, take it from me. Take it for take this stuff from me. I don't want to feel this way and then how do I glorify you in it? As we look at the scriptures that are laid out for us this morning in 1 John chapter 2, listen to what Listen to how it begins from John. John says, my little children, I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. I'm telling you these things so that you won't just bask yourselves in your sin and give yourself the excuse that it's okay, we've just always done it this way. That's not okay. It's not okay. When we discussed, when I, when I shared with you earlier what we're doing on Wednesday." It's not okay that fathers are not engaged in the lives of their children. That's not ever going to be okay. That's commanded in Scripture. It's not ever going to be okay that dads aren't an active part of nurturing their wives and nurturing their children in the admonition of Scripture. That's a command. We can give ourselves an excuse. I don't I don't have. it's never been that way. I didn't grow up that way. You didn't grow up that way. We don't ever have to do it. And nothing will ever change. Or we hear John's cry, the cry of an apostle, right? The apostle of love who at one time was the guy who wanted to clear the bar room, right? Lord, let's call down fire from heaven and roast all these guys. That's John. That's what he said. Now he's saying, my little children, I'm writing this to you so you won't sin. Don't sit in your sin. The things you know you ought to give up or lay down or put aside, right? Don't stay in that place. But he says, but if you do, I want you to know something. You have an advocate with the Father. You have someone next to God. The Bible tells us that men in the world... As the world continues to sin and rebel against God, the world is storing up wrath. You're just storing up wrath, piling it up. And God, in his long suffering, is not brought any of that wrath. That wrath has not come, it's just being stored up. But the Bible tells read the book of Revelation there is a day when the Lord pulls that, pours out something called the bowls of God's wrath. All the stuff that has been stored. And so he says, my little children, I want you to know that when we sin and we are walking in a rightful place to receive the wrath of God, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We have someone who is standing for us with the Father. Listen to what it says in verse 2. I just don't want you to miss it. I know we talked a little bit about it last week. He is our propitiation. He is the propitiation for our sins. Now, throughout 2,000 years of church history, men, I'll tell you what men are really good at. Men are really good at arguing about what something means. Usually when we're really good about arguing about what something means, it's because we don't exactly like where that something takes us. And I'm tired of arguing, so... uh, I'll I'll argue later. We can argue Monday morning. If you guys come to coffee, I'll be there. But as he says here, he is our propitiation. That means he satisfies the wrath of God for us. But whatever he is for us, the next part of the verse says he also is for the whole world. Whatever he is for us, Whatever he means by he is a propitiation for our sins, listen, and not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So if he, whatever he is for us in being our advocate, he is also for the world, that grace that flows through Jesus Christ uh, for what rightly should come from the father. And will come one day. But Jesus Christ is our advocate. He is there for us. And by this we know, he says in verse 3, by this we know we have come to know him. So we know we have, he's our advocate and we know him. And here's how we know we know him. If we keep his commandments. Now, I grew up in a church where we were fond of saying this phrase, I am not under the law, I'm under grace. Everybody know that one? Yep. Is it true? Yeah. Yeah. There is no way under the law any man can make himself righteous. So you are not under the law, but under grace. You can only be made righteous by the grace of Jesus Christ. His sacrifice, that's the only way you can be made right. But that doesn't mean that the law is bad. The Bible tells us the law is good. We know we know him if we keep his commandments. Now you've heard me talk about this before if you've been here very long. If it's your first time, sorry, you'll hear me talk about it now. When the Bible talks about us keeping his commandments, it also it does not only mean obedience. It also means we treasure. We value the things the Lord has commanded us. Jesus said in the book of Matthew, why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? Right? Why do you call me Lord? You say I'm your Lord, but you don't do what I say. One of those two things is not true. Right? If, uh, if you or a boss, and you have an employee, and the employee, every day, the employee comes to you, and you give him out the, the, the plan for the day, hey, I need you to go to this place, this place, this place, do these three jobs, this is your deal, right on, he's like, cool, I got you, boss, I got it, and the next day, he didn't go anywhere, he just did whatever he wanted, and so you have a meeting, hey, man, remember these three jobs we were supposed to do, this job, this job, yeah, boss, I got you, and then he doesn't go to any of those spots, at some point, you are going to come to the realization that you are not his boss. Right? Because if you are, he'll do what you ask. Yeah, that's kind of the relationship. It's the same idea with the relationship, Lord. So John says, look, if you, it, we'll know we know Christ. I will know you know Christ if you keep his commandments. Now he's going to give us a couple of questions to kind of help us look around what he's saying. First, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, Christ, whoever says he abides in Christ, ought also to walk as he walks. Amen? So if, if I say I'm a follower of Christ, then my footprints ought to be where his are. Right? I'm, I'm following him. So usually the question that comes up is, well, then what are, what are we supposed to obey? There's 613 commandments, something like that, in the Bible. And there's stuff about not wearing fabric with two different... Uh, Um, materials in it and there's weird stuff about not eating shrimp and I really like shrimp or bacon. (laughs) I really like bacon. So how does this work? Do we just arbitrarily pick and choose and what is it that he is saying to us? What is he describing? I want to help you guys a little bit. I want you to understand the importance of keeping his commandments. This phrase, we keep his commandments, is a favorite phrase of only one writer in all the Bible. Want to guess who it is? John. Every time this phrase is in the New Testament, it's under a book John wrote. And John, who loved Jesus, right? And he's the one whom Jesus loved. So there's a unique relationship. The very one who laid his head on the breast of the Lord as he uh, was there at the Last Supper... He wants us, you and I, to be able to go along with and and say from our hearts in truth what the psalmist declares in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 verse 97 says, Oh how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. Now I also think it's important that we realize there's more to the law of God than 613 commandments. I would argue that it encompasses the entire word of God. In Psalm 119, 165, it says this, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Psalm 119, 174 says, I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. That is the way the psalmist thought about the law of God. And if we're honest, most of us think the law is somehow bad. We're not under that. We're under grace. It's not about the law. So we want to kind of reconcile that idea. Theologically, the commandments of God divide into three categories. Those are arbitrary categories developed in theology, but basically they are built around the idea of what is the law about. You have the moral law, right? Ten Commandments. Nobody here would say, oh, no, it's not a problem to murder somebody today, right? No? I hope I hope you say it's not okay. Murdering is not okay. Stealing is not okay. Lying is not okay, right? These are all Part of God's moral law, right? That's that's the standard uh, by how we're able to see something is right or something is wrong. The second part of the law is what's called the ceremonial law. Those are things that required you to have a right standing with God in order to come before Him in worship. And all of those things were fulfilled in Christ. In other words, today we don't sacrifice bulls and goats because the sacrifice is Jesus Christ, right? He's a sacrifice. The ceremonial law has been absolutely fulfilled, and and we're not under in any way the ceremonial law today. The third part of the law, some people call judicial or purposive. That means the law was given uh, specifically to the nation of Israel, specifically about their circumstances. The judicial idea is the opposite of Justonian. Judicial judicial law means. I'm not trying to give you a rule for everything. I'm going to give you general things that you can use to guide you in everyday life. Like, for example, in the judicial law, there's a commandment that if you have a house, you're uh, on the roof of your house, you're to build a parapet. Thou shalt build a parapet around your roof. Now, the reason you did that was so that you would understand you have a responsibility to keep your guests who are over at your house safe. And they used to sit up on the roofs in those days So the idea was put a fence up so people don't fall off. The judicial concept is, hey, we want to understand there's value in that. But the judicial law was given specifically to the nation of Israel, and the nation of Israel ceased to exist for 2,000 years. And we can argue later uh, whether or not they are back. The Bible, when the Bible talks about the nation of Israel coming back, they're going to proclaim Jesus as their Christ. We're not quite to that point yet. So <clears throat> that's the judicial law. It, was, it had a purpose, <laughs> specific purpose given to a specific nation that ceased when that nation ceased to exist, except where that principle can be applied. In other words, we should understand that we should care about the people who are guests over at our house, right? That's a biblical principle that, that we Want to be able to follow. So when we look at the law and the division of the law, then we ask ourselves now, what's our motivation to that law? So here's the law that the Lord lays out, some of it fulfilled in Christ. Uh, Jesus kept all the law perfectly, right? That's how he is able to be our righteousness, so he can clothe me in his righteousness. What's our motivation? Is our motivation we must, we ought? What is our motivation? Well, the word of God would teach our motivation is we love. See, when Jesus is asked specifically about this, he's going to give us an answer we want to be able to pay attention to. Who is our example and how we are supposed to be with the law? Jesus says, by this we know we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought also to walk as he walked. How did Jesus walk? Did he love God's law? Did he love to honor God? Did he speak words that honored God? How ought we to be? The same, right? Because we're followers of Christ. We're followers of him. So then, as we consider this idea, I want you to consider of the realization of belonging to the law, keeping his commandments, understanding that, that Jesus said in the Great Commission, right, think about the Great Commission, go therefore to all the nations, making disciples of all men, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What's the next part? Teach them the things I command you. Right. Teach them the things I command you. And know, lo, I am with you how long? Always, even until the end of the age. Right. So the Lord, our advocate, he is there with us. So we're going to bring this kind of full circle in this next section. The, the second part. We keep his commandments. This is how we know we walk with him. We keep his commandments and we love one another right let's look verse 7 beloved i am writing to you no new commandment but an old commandment you have heard from the beginning this commandment goes all the way back to deuteronomy which is part of the torah which is what we would call uh specifically the law of god did you know that love your neighbor is part of the law of god The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you. Because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. But I say I'm in the light because Christ is in the light, right? So I'm walking in the light. With Christ, my footprints are where he is. I love the law of God. I love what God's word teaches me. I want to be obedient to the things God's calling me to do. I want to understand what those things are. And then he says, But if you say you're standing in the light, because Christ is light, right? He said, I'm the light of the world, right? Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness. So I'm following Christ, but you hate your brother, You hate another believer. John says, you are in darkness, not light. But I profess with my mouth, I'm following Christ, I'm doing the things he does. Did Christ give a command about how you are supposed to be with your brother? He did, right? In fact, he said this. If you are coming to the altar to give a gift at the altar, and there at the altar you remember you have something against another. You have something against your brother. He says, leave your gift there. Stop. Get out of line. First, go be reconciled to your brother. And then, come back to give your gift. Do you understand the value of loving your brother? First be reconciled, then return. And bitterness makes that hard, don't it? (laughs) Because bitterness don't want to do none of that. Bitterness wants to sit in the dark and have its pity party. But that's not what Christ has called us to, is it? If any of you says... He's in the light and hates his brother. Now, whoever loves his brother, verse 10, whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling. He says he loves his brother. He's standing in the light. He's walking in obedience. He's keeping the law of God. I'm going to simplify the law of God for you guys, so don't panic. We'll come back to the law of God. Some of you got crazy looks in your eyes. Take them away. Stop it. Jesus makes life simple. I'm not done. I still got 20 minutes. You guys are nowhere close to finish. So hold, hold that. Keep it in your mind. It's going to be okay. We want the one who stands in the light, who loves his brother, is keeping the commandments of God. What he says is really where he is. Are you guys with me? So what he says, his profession matches his possession He's standing in the light. He's following Christ. He's obedient to the word of Christ because he loves his brother. Okay? But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness. And here's what happens. If you stay in that darkness, you won't know where you're going. He does not know where he is going. Why? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. he's challenging us to be children of the light and walk in the light, right? Paul would write the same thing in the book of, of Ephesians. He would say, hey, you should walk as children of the light. Stay in the light. Walk in the light. Be who God wants you to be in the light. Don't say you're in the light if you're in the darkness. Confess your sin and be made right with God. Don't pretend you have no sin, or you find yourself standing in the darkness and you don't know where to go and you don't know what to do and everything in life is kind of screwed up. Now you still have your feelings. My feelings are still real. I still, have, I still feel the way I feel. But I first am called to be obedient to God's word, what the Lord of God has laid out for us. Now let's try to bring this around. So we want to talk about the idea of keeping commandments and loving one another. Loving one another is the truth upon which the law is built. Loving one another is the truth upon which the law is built. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, it says... Now, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor As yourself. On these two commandments. Depend. All the law. And the prophet. Everything. You guys realize that the ten commandments. The two tablets of the law. Four commandments focused on God. Six commandments focused on our relationship to man. The first part. The first tablet. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. The second tablet. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love your neighbor, you don't murder him. If you love your neighbor, you don't commit adultery with his wife. If you love your neighbor, you don't steal from him. You guys get it, right? If you love God, you don't have any idols. If you love God, you don't make any graven images. If you love God, you don't take his name in vain. All the law and the prophets fall on love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself this is what jesus declared so loving one another is the truth upon which the law and the prophets are built it is also the absolutely clear teaching of jesus christ remember i said jesus said at the great commission in which he sends out his disciples teach them the things how's it go Teach him the things I commanded you, right? Teach him the things I commanded you. <clears throat> First John 3.11, John would write, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Second John 5 and 6, And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but as one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is a commandment that you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. What do you mean? Those are all John talking, where's Jesus? John 13, 34. The new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Did you catch it? How are you to love one another? What's the, what's the, what is the level? Like, I, I love you a little bit. I love you sometimes. I love you Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I'm choosing bitterness. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm going to love you like Christ loves me. How am I supposed to love you? Like Christ loves me. How am I supposed to love you? Like Christ loves me. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things I say? For everyone who says he walks in the light keeps his commandments. I write this to you, little children, so that you would not sin. But if you do, no, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's your advocate. He's interceding for you, Romans 8, 34. He ever lives to intercede (coughs) for you. And 1 John 1, 9 says that if we do sin, if we fall short, if we stumble, what are we supposed to do? Make an excuse? What's he say? Confess your sin and be made right with God. Amen? Confess your sin, be made right with God. John 15, 12. This is my commandment. That you love one another in the same way. That's what that little word as means. That you love one another as I have loved you. How are we supposed to love each other? Like Christ loved me. How much did Christ love me? The Bible declares that when I was an enemy with God, when I was a hater of God, when I was at war with God, Christ died for me. The Bible declares, greater love hath no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. How am I supposed to love? Like Christ loved me. Is it easy? No. If it was easy, everybody would do it. If there was a pill you could take so that you were pretty and thin, you'd be wealthy because you sold the pills that make you pretty and thin. I'll take them. <laughs> but there is no, nothing about easy way. There is the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth. And a life. No man comes to the Father except through me. John fifteen seventeen. These things I command you, that you will love one another. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? It is also the strongest testimony we have from the disciples to believers, the testimony of believers to the world. How will the world know that you are a walker in the light? What did Jesus say? By the way you, by how good you are at theology. Can you say all the hard words of theology? Do you remember the three categories of the law? Could you divide the 613 commandments into those three categories of law? Because that's what you got to do to pass theology class. Does any of that mean anything? It means you have head knowledge. Head knowledge is cool. Yeah, it's nice to know things. If you're ever playing Bible trivia with somebody, you could come across as a a brilliant person who understands how these things are if that person who wrote that game happened to go to the same theology school you did. Otherwise, the categories are a little different. How will they know you walk in the light? How you love each other why do you call me lord lord and not do the things i say we're not even talking about complicated stuff are we no we'll just leave the complicated stuff alone if you walk in the light you are a lover of his law and his law says you will love god and love your brother So if you want to know, are you walking in the light? This is the strong, just what Jesus said. The strongest testimony to the world that you are my disciples is how you love each other. What is the strongest testimony in the world right now? That the church loves each other? What's the strongest testimony? That we can't get along at all. We're the biggest dysfunctional family on the face of the planet. You know why? We are bitter. The Lord commands us to get that out. Get that bitterness out. Because what will it defile? The root of bitterness will bear fruit. You know what fruit it will bear? More bitterness. This is why. Now, I'm not talking about doctrinal things that separate. Don't don't put words in my mouth, right? I'm, I'm talking about the true church of Christ who loves Christ, who actually knows him, who follows the essential principles of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're to love our brother, but we're bitter. And if we don't deal with our bitterness, then we will make the people around us bitter. And if they don't deal with their bitterness, they will make the people around them bitter. And the result of that, listen, please, the result of that will be a church without any power. What would you say the church looks like today? Bitter. we are called to walk in the light this is the test that proves our relationship to god our confession is not true our profession is not true if we hate our brother scripture says we are still in darkness our conduct is affected when we love our brother what does it say Whoever loves his brother is abiding in the light, and in him there is, please listen, no cause to stumble. What causes us to stumble? Well, I would say my bitterness. I trip over my bitterness all the time. He's saying, no, we, we have got to put that down. And what is the condition that we find ourselves in if we hate our brother? Lack of direction, lack of discernment. Lack of direction. Whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going. I call that lack of direction, right? Lack of discernment. Why is he in darkness? Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Darkness has blinded his eyes. What makes this commandment a new commandment? In the Old Testament, we have this commandment to, to love one another, right? To love our neighbor. What makes that new? The word new does not mean like brand new. In the Greek, the word is fresh. What, what has made this commandment fresh? What has made the commandment fresh is the example of Christ. He's the rule, right? So, so I cannot say, well, in my own way, I'm loving you. No, how do I have to love you? Like Christ. How did Christ love me? He died for me. You ever have to die for somebody? Well, we're all here, so we haven't died yet. Right? And when we read the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to consider Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, our focus as we lay aside the weights, the things that... That are holding us back, not necessarily sin, things that are stopping us from progressing with what God wants us to do. We lay aside the sin that it easily ensnares us, and we run with endurance the race that is set before us, and we consider Jesus. And then he says, Just follow Jesus and be like Jesus is. And then he has this phrase None of you have resisted yet to bloodshed. So far, we have not died for anyone perhaps the Lord would call us to that I don't know I don't know the future but I know he wants me to live for my brother to love my brother to do whatever I can to be reconciled to my brother right the only way I can do it i got to put bitterness to death in me. i got to put it down. I cannot be the only person bitter. It can't just be me. If it is, I'm the problem for everything. You guys should take me out back. And stone me, probably. And maybe everything will get better. Or, maybe we all need to confess our bitterness. Because he will forgive us, right? And now we're walking in obedience to his law, aren't we? Because his law commands us to confess our sin. Oh my goodness, look at that. We're keeping his law and then... That will enable me, if I can get the bitterness out of my life, to love like I'm supposed to love. Now I'm standing in the light as he is in the light. Isn't that what we want? When you look at our world, do you want more for it? Or are you just waiting for it all to burn? Because I guarantee we're closer today than we have ever been. And part of me says, I just want it to burn. That's the bitter part. And then part of me looks at my grandchildren and I say, I want better. Then I can't check out. I can't stand in my bitterness or my anger or whatever I got. I can't check out. I got to check in i got to walk in obedience to the law of God, which requires me to confess my sin and to be made right in Christ. I need to stand in that place that says, well, i gotta, I got to put all this stuff away from me. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you guys this morning, three minutes. <laughs> you know already, don't you? I'm going to challenge you for three minutes. What is the tie that binds the body of Christ together. And I'm going to, as we work through this, I'm going to list out several things. I've taken a lesson from my wife. What do you call that stuff you do? A I have, a liter- well, I have, a, they're all F-words. <laughs> whatever, whatever you call that. Not that F-word, you weirdos. <laughs> Here they are the ties that bind believers together these are the things this is our homework you want to say you walk in the light and you love your neighbor and you obey christ and you love his law right all these things is what the bible says we say we do this and here are the things the bible is commanding we ready number 1 forgiveness ephesians 432 be kind to one another Tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Here's the hard part. Like Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13 Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. How? Like the Lord forgave you so you also must forgive. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Confess your sins. Be forgiving. Number two, forbearance. That's bearing with one another. Ephesians 4.2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bear with one another in love. Yes, I'm aware. I am an acquired taste. The commandment of Scripture is this. Bear with one another. I'm not perfect. The the reason I stand here is because God made me teach thousands of Marines at a time, and I don't get freaked out standing in front of people. The Lord laid a call on my life. I answered the call. I, I walked in obedience and woke up, and here I am. And as I stand in this place, it's not because I am perfected or I have already attained, but there is one thing I do. I forget the things which lie behind. And I press on, right? Keep moving toward Christ. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint, forgive each other. What was that first phrase? Bear with one another. Yeah, just so you know, I know I'm an acquired taste. I know you think you're natural, but you ain't. You're not like orange juice. You don't go down easy. No. We need to bear with one another. When we offend one another, what should we do? Forgive one another. See, you guys are listening. Number three, the third word, friendship. Romans 12.10 says, this is a command by the way, love one another with brotherly affection. Be friendly. Did you know being friendly was a command? Oh, you didn't know that. You want to stand in the light, walk in the light, be an example of Christ. Christ who fulfilled all the law, right? We're following in Him. Be friendly. The command, love one another with brotherly affection. Oh, outdo one another in honor. Oh, man. That's what being friendly is. 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty, All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Now somewhere, high school kid, probably a boy, just perked up. (laughs) Oh, the Bible commands me to kiss you. So ladies, that's not what it means. A holy kiss was a greeting. A greeting. Today our greeting is shaking hands. You can shake your hands with anybody you want. You try to kiss my granddaughter, I'm going to become bitter and sock you in the eye. <laughs> so what, what, is it? what does it mean, holy kiss? Holy kiss. George Cross, if I, I, I love George. George always greets me with a holy kiss. Every time I see George, I bump into him in twin now and again. He'll walk up to me, grabs my face like a, like a European guy should, and he kisses my cheeks, both sides. And you know what I feel? He's my friend. The point, the principle of the verse, be friendly. People should know. Don't be fake. We don't need it fake. We need friendly. This is the command. Next word. My next F. One, two, three. Number four. Fellowship. Fellowship, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. I don't care what any governor says. I don't care what any president says. I am a rebel from so far back. I don't know how far it's that is so natural to me. The Bible commands me to meet together at any point. If they ever say it's illegal, I won't care. You will have to make your own decisions. But it's a command to have fellowship, to meet together. Which is what our whole impetus behind Wednesday night, right? Coming together organically as a body of diverse people, diverse ages coming together and being blessed by one another as we gather together. Fellowship, stirring up love and good works, spending time together. Next word, faithfulness in serving one another. Galatians 5.13 For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. Do you know part of serving is not wanting to serve? If you're waiting to feel like serving someone, You're never going to do it. But if you get up in the morning and you say, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to honor you today. How can I honor you today? And I hear the Lord speak to my heart. I want you to serve someone. The Bible does not say I have to feel like it. It doesn't say it. You wait to feel like it. You're supposed to lead your feelings. Your heart is not your guide. The truth is your guide. You make your heart follow. That's what a father should teach his children. You make your heart follow by saying, I obey Lord Jesus. There's lots of ways to serve. I do not enjoy serving at VBS. Look, I love kids. I love having fun. I love just running wild. I have a hard time loving the, the structure necessary to make a VBS work. It goes naturally against all of my inclinations. But for, I think, for about 12 years, I have always served At VBS, not because I wake up in the morning and go, "Oh, I want to try to wrangle 33-year-olds today." (laughs) Now, some of you wake up like that. Let me see your hands. Who wakes up? Ah, see, I'm telling you, there are people who are like that. But listen, listen. If a church tries to function with only the people who feel like it, do you know what will happen? Nothing. What's the command? Serve one another. Serve one. Be faithful in serving. Now, am I, I will tell you this. I I don't, I I seldom wake up and I go, I'm so excited. Sometimes I do because cool things are going on. But I'm always blessed by spending time with children. I'm always blessed by it. And the Bible says that our children need the adults of the church to be engaged in them. Not to think someone else, somewhere else is taking care of it. But for us to think, each one of us to think, I need to be faithful in serving. Now that's not the only way to serve, lots of ways to serve. But I'm giving that as an example, right? There are examples, the last F is coming, this one, I want to be faithful to serve one another. Listen, here's how how Paul ends that phrase in Galatians. Four, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. And then he says seven. But that seems weird, doesn't it? The whole law is fulfilled in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. (laughs) That's a lot of words. What's the one word? Love is the one word. Why do we do it? Because I, listen, love Christ. That's why I want to serve kids. I love Christ. That's why I want to serve people that need visited in the hospital. I love Christ. That's why I will be at a parole hearing this Friday for a guy who has spent most of his life in jail that I've known for 12 years. Because I love him, which I do, because he's my brother, but because I love Christ, I'll be faithful to serve. Last one. Fulfill the love, or sorry, fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual Restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should blame him, confront him, slap him. That's not what it says, is it? If anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. How? That is That does include confrontation. How shall you do it? In a spirit of gentleness, watching out for yourself, because we have a tendency to run around like plank eyes, don't we? You guys know what that means? Yeah. We have a tendency to run around like plank eyes. We better be careful of the plank sticking out of our own eyes. First Thessalonians three, twelve and thirteen. I'm going to read this and we're going to pray. It says, May the Lord make you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he Christ may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we can spend in your word, study your word, Lord God. I, I, I know that you have dealt and will continue to deal with me in regard to the struggle that I have And I pray, God, that there's others who are comforted by the familiar feeling of bitterness. That they would not leave this place today, nor allow a shadow to cross before them in their following the light of Christ without confessing, receiving restoration from our advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledgement that he is praying for us, and the freedom to know that if I need to do it again, when I take three steps, I can. Because, John wrote, who loved us though he never saw us. I'm writing to you little children that you may not sin. We find ourselves Lord Jesus in a time where the church does not have the answers she should, the actions that she should, the attitude that she should. The church is reeling and struggling And I feel like we have allowed bitterness to root. And now it bears fruit. So, Lord, we as a body want to step out of our disobedience. And we want to walk in the truth of our profession that we follow Christ. So, Lord, we are forgiving those who have wronged us. We are relinquishing judgment or justice to you, for you are the judge of all the earth, and I'm not. I don't remember how things went down. I only remember how I feel about them. And I can't trust my feelings. So we relinquish all of that. Lord, we ask that you would help us glorify you in bearing with one another's burdens. We ask that we would glorify you in loving one another. We ask that we would glorify you by being obedient to what you command us. To love God, Love our neighbor. To love your law. To recognize that I need you to do it. To recognize that I need purged by you. To walk where I ought to walk. But more than I want justice for the wrongs done me. I want you. So I lay it down again. And I pray it's the last time. Help us honor you in these moments. Help us ask the question, was my Lord satisfied with my worship? Was my Lord satisfied with my attitude? Lord God, be glorified as we live out your truth before men. And we give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen.